2: This episode is brought to you by Excelsior Capital, an investment platform focused on democratizing private equity by providing individuals access to direct opportunities. To learn more about the firm and the Capital Club community, visit our website at www.excelsiorgp.com and connect with Brian on LinkedIn.
0: Hello and welcome back to the Capital Club podcast. Today I'm here with Celine Fitzgerald. Celine, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you so much for having me today. I'm happy to be here.
0: Yeah, I, we, I came across your name in a family business magazine article about kind of the rising stars of the next gen. And your story sounded interesting. So I sent you a cold note on LinkedIn and here we are talking.
1: That was embarrassing. Not it's the, the LinkedIn <laughs> <lengthen> email. <laughs> the fact that it, I was in the magazine.
0: <laughs> why was why did you find it embarrassing?
1: Somehow my dad, you know, God bless parents, you think their kids are stars, you know, like getting participation mm-hmm. awards when you don't win first place. Nominated me for that. And I don't know if they just didn't have enough submissions this year or somehow <laughs> thought it was someone who should be on the watch. But then it turned out Family Business Magazine Henry just speak at their legacy and wealth conference two weeks ago here in Chicago because of it. So I guess I have some sort of interesting story to tell, or I just bring more to it. I'm not sure. <laughs>
0: Well, that's that's part of this whole conversation I wanted to have with you is, you know, a lot of next gens are thrust into this situation where they don't necessarily feel comfortable, but it's that transition starting to happen, right? And so I think a lot of family members and a lot of people who are kind of rising next gens are now actually stepping into this role of leadership and, and authority.
1: Yes, one hundred percent, whether they want to or not, or. Still trying to figure out what that means to I, I know myself
0: quit it. So let's do a brief bio and then get into the story of your family. So Celine is the next-gen leader for Attempting to Be, which yes. again, goes through this <laughs> maybe confidence issue. She is G3 and from a long line of successful bankers. While finance is not her forte, she is forging her own path in the philanthropic mm-hmm. space, which we're going to get into. So what is your family's story?
1: Yeah, so my dad is his G two, and his a grand his father, I'm sorry, was a banker and had started a bank here in Chicago Northwest suburbs, suburban National Bank, and my dad was CEO and president at the time of a call that BMO Harris wanted to acquire them, which my dad called an irrational deal, and it turned out really well. And that was back in 1994. And what's interesting at that time is my dad and his four siblings and my grandfather, everyone went their own way. You know, no multifamily office was set up, which back then they were probably a thing, but you really, I mean, no one really talked about then like they would today. So blessing and a curse, everyone went in their own ways. And, you know, we never really talked about money. I was eight at the time. So had no idea that it was a huge, significant amount of wealth that would one day continue or continue to grow. And then my dad had a non compete with BMO because he made sure that no one lost their jobs except himself and his brothers <laughs> and anyone, I guess, who maybe she- wanted to leave. And then he bought a bank 100 miles from Chicago, was Illinois, which now is kind of our, our family bank in a sense. And I just joined the board and I drive my dad down there once a month for board meetings, like his, his Uber driver. And, and then he started a bank where his compete was up in Palestine, Illinois with former, former colleagues. So, Banking like runs in his blood. And unfortunately for me, I did an internship senior year of college with Smith Barney. And the second day of my internship, I called my dad and I said, oh my God, what is happening? Like people are standing on top of their desk. I don't know what to do. Well, the market had just crashed. And I said, well, I don't think I would never go into finance. This isn't for me. I this is too volatile. I can't handle this. So that was my first taste of financing, basically my last. But I can appreciate, you know, what my dad has built in in both banks, which are extremely different markets, extremely different, you know, asset under management and clientele. And I I love just being a part of very high level and understanding, you know, what goes on behind the scenes.
0: So you mentioned that you were eight when this liquidity event happened and that you didn't talk about money. What was the process like for you learning about the scope and breadth of your family?
1: Yeah, I mean, we grew up, Comfortably, you know, we had a nice home. I remember we moved actually not that long after that same neighborhood, but into a cul-de-sac, a bigger house, you know, whatnot. I had a small, son, a one-year-old sister at the time, so more space, I suppose, quieter. But yeah, we didn't we didn't talk about much, you know. We took a few nice trips, and nobody had anything extravagant. I had a bike, I assume, you know, like things like that. But my parents didn't drive like fancy cars or anything like that. And then, as time goes on, you maybe kind of start realizing certain things, and you know, once I went to college, things probably changed a little bit, you know, because you you start hanging out with people from totally such a, such a range of finances and then, you know, when I was twenty one my dad had me come and meet with our attorneys one break I was home, and that's when I found out everything, but then was never spoken to about it again for a really long time. so if my education was very brief for like a two hour window, and that was not his fault. Again, he had no idea that it was going to continue to grow or to grow what it was at that time and and then continued to grow.
0: So just one day you have a two-hour conversation and it like all is revealed kind of thing? Okay,
1: Basically, I mean, up until then it was like, you know, once or twice a year you're asked to sign something and I never really asked what I was signing. Who knows, you know, whether it was a tax return or contribution to an IRA or whatnot. But yeah, we did not you know, the old saying is, if you have money, you don't talk about it. And we really did not talk about it. You know, I, I really knew there was something, you know, my, you know, my grandparents lived very, wasn't lavish, but it was a lovely lifestyle and, you know, there were multiple homes and whatnot, but we didn't really live like that. So my parents are just more, they're very philanthropic. So, but then once I started realizing there was a little bit of money, I, I like to help the economy, so... <laughs>
0: Do your, do your part for the, I do my part. Yeah. I mean, you know, every family does that conversation differently. And I'm curious, you you know, you mentioned you just got married. If you were to start a family and have children of your own, would you do it? Would you do that conversation differently than your dad did with you?
1: I feel like, yes, just because I inherited wealth from such an early age. And technically my child or children will be wealth inheritors at infancy at birth, which was, you know, different than myself. And I spoke with a woman at a conference a week ago and she was saying, no, we start you know, the kids in this multifamily up three, you know, little games, not like, here's what you're worth and, you know, here's how many trusts you have, but little games. And I think there are exercises and things you can do to start implementing that. And I mean my parents were great right in the sense when I was 15 and a half, they were like oh, get a job, like understanding the value of a dollar, you know, paying for my own gas and whatnot and really understanding responsible you know, tools to handle wealth and open checking accounts and whatnot on my own. But it's just hard to comprehend it all. And then if it continues to grow, you don't really know as a parent probably how to navigate that. Because certain parent you know, unfortunately when my parents have put some in our names and other parents don't do that. So it's not like it's just my you know, it's it's coming towards me, which is a whole other thing too, when you get, you know, trusts and lawyers involved. So
0: Right. It seems like there's a lot of emotions wrapped up around this this corpus of assets for you, and it's something that you probably work through, right? I mean, it's not you don't have the same emotions every at every moment that are the that are identical. But have have you seen your relationship with money change from that conversation when you were 21 until today?
1: Oh, definitely. I mean, when I graduated from school, I went to Chicago. i I worked for about a year and a half, and I went to grad school. Then I went back to New York and worked for three years, and I came back and worked. Two different jobs. I think I switched a lot. That's typical millennial, I guess. But I, I, you know, I enjoyed the corporate world and what I was doing. I was in the luxury goods industry, so to speak. I, I liked the back office, the analytical work. I loved Excel. And then coming back to Chicago, that just really exists. So I went back to school to Loyola to get my MBA and ended up interning in the Family Business Center, which was like the biggest blessing. So. Because of that, then I started speaking to our fidelity relationship manager who then introduced me to a cohort. They were starting a next gen cohort, which when you say emotions, open up just a whole Pandora's box of emotions, you know, like shame around money, not feeling shame, accepting that she had it, doing good with it, not feeling guilty, not letting friends or significant others, you know, make you feel bad, understanding how to deal with those relationships. So everything I've done since that. Kind at 21 until now 36 has helped me um gain better understanding and you know every day it's a journey and now that i started a single family house with my dad i'm not in public america anymore i'm not earning my own real paycheck you know i'm being paid by the family office but at the same time i'm doing what i'm supposed to be doing but it doesn't always feel that way you know i'm not at a jewelry company anymore you know making spreadsheets and figuring out if palm beach should get blue stones versus california getting black stones for necklaces but you know, that was a great time in my life. And now it's, it's different. It's understanding how our assets should be managed and preserved for future generations.
0: You mentioned that the Family Business Center, Loyola. Could you talk more about yes. what, they, what they do there, what the experience was like, how it impacted you?
1: So it's great. So I Whenever I talk about the Family Business Center, I always talk about Anne Smart, who is the director of the Family Business Center, and she is a force of nature. I'd like to joke in my first month at Loyola, she found me on the way to the bathroom and like tripped me and said, please intern for me. And I said, absolutely not. I just want to be done with this program in a year like, or 11 months or whenever. And then I started interning with her or interning with her and she's like my very godmother. I mean, she's just, I would be lost without her guidance and mentoring. And while I was interning for her, I ran the Illinois Family Business of the Year Award. So we give, they give out six awards a year. Well, pre COVID. So I ran it and then I am it. And the amount of different family, uh, family members I got to meet from family businesses from whether they were five years to 150 years old was just so amazing. And I got to just really understand. The importance of succession planning, governance, next gen education, financial literacy—things that I did, words that I had never even heard before. And then at the time, Andrew Kite, who was a clinical professor and teaching a lot of their seminars throughout the Family Business Center, I did an independent study with him for a semester. I stayed on after the semester. Look at me—I wanted to be done in eleven months, and I stayed on an additional. And you know, he helped me more talk about like my own family story and how to help potentially in the future you know, I could G3 could work together and the next goes down to G4. So all very helpful terms and things that I had never, never understood before. And again, my dad didn't really know because he and his siblings didn't start a family office. So they all kind of went their own way and no one started a family office probably until within the last five years. And the wealth was accumulated, you know, in 94. So everyone's just been kind of doing their own thing and letting it grow, so to speak.
0: Yeah. What was the what was the driver behind actually starting the family office as opposed to just doing what you had been doing for the last sure. 20, 40 years?
1: When I, so when I started at Loyola, I think I was 30, 30, 31. And I, so I started because I'm floundering. And I had come back to New York. I was working at Claire's corporate. So I went bankrupt. My dad's like, you got to get out. <laughs> um, so he's like, if you go back to school, we'll start a single family office. I didn't even know what that meant. I so was like, funny. okay. And he was approaching 70. He was hoping to kind of wind down from the bank that he started in Valentine in where he where we grew up. And he's like, This would be so fun. You know, he had no son, no sons, and no son in law at the time. So it was, I guess, my job <laughs> to somehow figure things out. My sister who's seven years younger didn't have to step up to the plate yet. So that's kind of why we started. And my, I think similar for my dad's two of my dad's brothers, you know, very similar time and everyone feels that they're getting older. They want to make sure that the next generation understands, you know. But for me, really, it's not starting until early 30s. Like, I wish I had, I wish someone had drilled it into me in my late teens, early 20s. But again, all these, like, phenomena of family office and governance and special planning are newer in the sense to, like, the main population, you know. We just, no one really understood it back in the 90s, unless you were the Rockefellers or, you know.
0: Yeah, it just it just wasn't even talking about. Yeah. And you, you mentioned, you know, your, your dad put you up for this nomination. Yes. And yes. it's led you to do meet a bunch of interesting people, probably, and do some cool things. Like you're now a guest on the show. So we've connected. You said that you were at a conference two weeks ago. If you if you were talking to a listener who is thinking about getting involved in the family office world, what advice would you give to them? What lessons have you learned?
1: Definitely connecting with peers. peers it's is huge. huge. And which started that started when I connected with their Fidelity because we're part of the Fidelity Family Office group. Cool. So by connecting with my relationship manager, I was then connected to Kim and who's just all things magical. I don't know exactly know what's real term is. But he started this next gen cohort who then I was introduced to other peers around the country. I actually did it two times. I just felt it was very valuable for me at that time. And now my sister's involved in it. And then something else that I'd become involved, which which I find very, very helpful is called Forge, which I like to call it Facebook meets LinkedIn. I don't really know how else to say it. It's a virtual platform. They have, like you know, it's members only. You have to be invited and or apply and then vouch for by another single family office executive. And it's four members by members. There's a mix of my people like myself and then single family executives or non-family, all ages, all over the country who come together just to like ping each other for any random question and looking for content and looking for advice and different events and peer groups to come together. So I have found that very, um, very helpful tool. at you know, when I do something, I dive in and co-chair of the content committee and trying to help with a speaker series committee. So. I find things like that really helpful just to be a sponge. If you're just getting into this world, it's just to be a sponge and read, read, read as much as you can.
0: Yeah, it is. Those affinity networks and those peer-to-peer learning opportunities are incredible. And you start making those connections, making introductions and referrals. And then when you travel, it can be very rewarding. But It takes work, right? But it, it can be extremely powerful.
2: Want to learn more about investing in alternatives? Take the next step by joining the Capital Club, an affinity peer-to-peer network of industry professionals organized by Excelsior Capital. You'll gain access to exclusive alternative investment opportunities, premium content and education, private events, and more. Visit excelsiorgp.com slash Capital Club podcast for more information and to sign up today.
0: What about any of the mistakes? Like once, you know, once you put yourself out there as a family office... You get a lot of inbounds from people or, you know, all of a sudden folks come out of the woodwork. It hasn't all been positive, I'm sure. Have there been any instances of discomfort or where you've stubbed your toe or or where maybe you wish you hadn't done those type of things?
1: I think the biggest mistake, just thinking personally and uh, just... Happened recently is dealing with a prenuptial agreement. You know, it's something It's uncomfortable. I know you, you recently spoke with Olivia Summerhill on it, and no one wants to do it. It's not, it shouldn't be looked into such a negative saying. It should just be, let's protect our assets. It's 2022. Again, a lot of the assets aren't mine, they're family assets. So it's, it's, it, it is what it is. But however, I just personally feel like we went about it a terrible way and I just wasn't listening. And I was lucky that at the time we were working with a woman, kind of a a coach, I guess. And she really helped us through it and like helped me realize that I was not listening to him. And it had nothing to do with like him getting something or like seeking something. But it was just being heard and like just feeling value. And so I just, if anyone is ever going through one, do not work with your attorney. Like do not. I mean, I almost was ready to buy the advice because they said you are just you're trying to pin me again someone that I'm supposed to spend the rest of my life with like it's better to draft your own send it get approval and then just have it signed And you, you know it shouldn't be such rocket signs. and like I said to my dad I can't get to anything anyway so if someone else can god bless that was <laughs> so, you know no one else is getting it because I can't but that was our biggest you know failure Other than that, I think just not starting our education earlier. Luckily, my sister is seven years younger than me. So, you know, she's 29. She just finished the next gen cohort through Fidelity. So she has a lot of shame around being wealthy. So she's like finally coming to terms a little bit better. I haven't had that ahead as much as she has, maybe just because I'm older. So, yeah, I think those two things.
0: Yeah, the conversation with Olivia was great. And, you know, there's no right way to do that, but there's a lot of wrong ways to do it is how I typically put it with people. And yeah, I mean, starting the conversation as early as possible. Though I think the words you use in that conversation are really powerful. Like the way that you put it, these are not my assets, they're family assets that are meant to be stored over them for multiple generations. It's not like you're not getting them or I'm not getting them. It's not for any of us it's for future generations. And just having people understand, but it can be... horrifically painful process. So congratulations for getting through it, at least.
1: Mary, that's a win.
0: That's a win. That's a (laughs) win. So I was at a family office conference recently and we had a breakout session about dealing with spouses. Mm -hmm. Non-lineal, right? And it was interesting because I was one of only, I think, two men. the rest of the table were were women. And I think with just the way the demographics are playing out, more and more women, especially millennial women like yourself, are going to be inheritors of this wealth. I would love to hear your thoughts and experience share on what that conversation was like with your husband, how you thought through it. And again, any advice or talking points that might be helpful to other people who are listening that are going through that same type of relationship themselves?
1: Yeah, I mean... You know, I had gotten to the point where I was—I was thirty-three. I before, right before I met Sean, and I had almost like given up. I was like, "This—it's just too hard to meet someone in my situation." Like dating was just not even fun at that point. You know, getting you—you you just get afraid at a certain point as a female inheritor that people are after you for a certain reason. I'd gone on a date once in the past, and the second date, his guy like, I Googled you and, like, ran r- read a lot more information than I knew about my family and go, Google. Well, that's just really creepy. I got to go. And so, you know, in a certain point, it's like, you can have a great life. And just, I don't need anyone. And then the pandemic hit, and I met Sean on a date of um in the middle of the pandemic. And, you know, we met, and right off the bat, I just knew he was the kindest, sweetest, humblest, hardworking guy I'd ever met. And... You know he is so conservative when it comes to money. I um, always have to be like, "We need to buy food. <laughs> it's okay, we can afford it." So, you know, he, I think he sells his first communion money. So that's like really great. As time went on, he, you know, we we were very open from the start. Like even kind of before we got engaged, I started laying the groundwork, knowing that we probably would get engaged. And then right when we got engaged, you know, my dad met with him a few times, and just like each time, laid out more and more information. So we didn't want to blindside him. We didn't want to think that we were hiding anything. You know, Sean is extremely smart and is in a financial background. That was not a prerequisite, even though I joke that it was. And I honestly think, you know, I never thought this about anyone before, but if God forbid something were to happen to my dad, Sean could step in and like nothing would have changed, even though he has a job. But he just, he thinks like my dad in that regard. You know, he manages a bond fund. So he... He's very, very conservative and wouldn't do anything drastic. He's not looking for anything. He's just happy being a part of the family. And we have brought him into the family like he's one and he's probably more connected than I am, to be honest. So, But starting those conversations early are really important. Like, you know, wedding day is definitely not one. Two months before the wedding, definitely not, you know, as soon as possible. And we just we laid it all out there. And I, I think the lawyers even discouraged my dad from doing that. And he goes, but we trust him. If we didn't trust him, we wouldn't give him the blessing for marriage.
0: And that was exactly my next question. The the conversation at the round table I was at, it was very divided between mm-hmm. between full disclosure and not. Okay. Probably half the table of females had done something similar to you all, right? Like disclosure over time or inviting them to board meetings and whatever. And then the other half said they had not made any disclosure. At all to the husband, and they still had it. And the people had been married for 10, 20 years, multiple children. And I just thought that was surprising, yeah. I guess. But I mean, what are your, what's your response to that?
1: I mean, I just can't really, I can't imagine that. I mean, while we still have our separate bank accounts and then have a joint bank account, I mean, I just feel like I'm going to be hiding something or not with you know, my true self, which, yes, of course, I like to hide my shoe bills. Of course, he doesn't need to know what, you know, when I'm buying a new pair of shoes, but, you know, I wouldn't go out and make a drastic purchase without him knowing, or if I was like doing something for our hypothetical children, of course, I would want him to know. That just seems like, you know, and I definitely had dated people in the past that my dad probably would not have felt comfortable telling anything to, and that just clearly shows that they weren't the right person. So, you know, Sean just displayed a totally different way to him that we were like, well, yeah, of course, he's definitely the one, and he's someone we can trust.
0: Let's talk about starting the single family office. I'm sure there's been fits and, and starts. What's gone right? And what's been, what's taken longer than you would have thought? or What are the choke points you've experienced?
1: I think what's taken the longest is just the understanding what my role is. You know, I think it's really hard. You know, my dad is still really super busy and Bob took two things. And then we're just trying to understand. I'm always trying to get him to understand if something were to happen to him, like what, what happens? Oh, you call this person. Well, no, that's not really how we have to do it. We have to have it a little bit more written out, you know, so to speak, because he's 72. And of course, he acts like a 25 year old and looks better than he ever did. But, you know, you go to funerals for 45 year olds at the drop of a hat. So you just have to be practical. And I think the scariest thing right now is that my dad for the past, you know, how many years since the 90s has been managing really everything himself. We're part of two banks that have trust departments. So they handle a lot of our, our trusts and, you know, accounts. And then we're with Fidelity Family Office. So we don't really have any real financial advisors. It's really my dad, which is great, except God forbid something were to happen. And, you know, we've interviewed a couple of people that's going to talk to them, but my dad doesn't want it. He doesn't want to pay reporting. He doesn't need any of that because it's all up in his brain. Well, not in my case. Oh, if something were to happen. So, you know, we have those conversations and we're trying to understand how, with it internally, we can build reporting. Or maybe that is a test for Sean, I guess, which he doesn't know. But that is probably the hardest thing, just understanding where to go next if something happens. I would say the thing that we, we do the best is Dad. the land of this side, which my parents have been for, for years. They And that's one of our the pillars of our, our single family office, which I feel like I finally have realized like that's where I've sent, and I have to stop her. Trying to prove myself in other areas that I'm never going to be as, as competent in because stick to my lane. I can't do it all. I'm never going to be an, an investment specialist. I'm never going to, you know, out into the stock market. So why, why think that? So, you know, my parents started a donor advice fund in 94 when the liquidity event happened and they've been very philanthropic ever since. And then I started, we still have that. And then I started the foundation when we started the single family office in 2019, 2020 and have been. Building that, and you know, finally, my dad and I are like in a groove, and he's like letting me handle that more and really letting me run with it. Of course, we like all talk about it as a family, like if we're going to be doing big things and there's thresholds if you are going to give more to this, let's talk about it. But he's finally letting me run with that, so I finally feel like I have a purpose here.
0: Yeah, the institutional knowledge that the older generations have, we've been working through that on our own family, and in YPO world, we call that the hit by the bus test. Like, can <laughs> can your enterprise move forward if you get hit by the bus? And we, we worked a lot in the last five years to migrate to a multifamily office to, to pass the test. And we're probably like 90% of the way there, but you know, there's still, it's scary. Yeah. You know, just to your point, if something happened to my father-in-law, we would have, I would have to call our in-house CPA controller and ask like, what happens next? Right. I'm not really sure, to be honest with you.
1: Well. 100%. 100%. And, you know, things change all the time with different tax laws. And, you know, I and mean, yes, we have great estate planning in place, but things always are changing. And I'm not up on all that. It's not like I'm constantly reviewing it. So, you know, in a state of panic, because you're trying to plan a funeral, like you just don't even know what happened next. But I have to say, like, since we started the family office, my dad's been really great, like, it's me meeting with whether it's lawyers or accountants. He always brings me to those meetings. Or if someone's trying to entice him for an investment deal, like he brings me in on those. So at least I like am familiar with people and different people that are trying to bring him into something. So at least I recognize names and have relationships know with people.
0: How's the experience been going through that as a woman?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's different. And, you know, sometimes, you know, they, a lot of hear other women say this, like depending on co- what kind of meeting you're in, but they'll assume that the women are not as smart. And, it's not that I'm not as smart, but I did not study finance. I will never pretend that I was a finance major. you know. So for me, it, it does take me a little bit of time to absorb some of that information, but I feel like I've gotten to the point. I'm 36. I know that's not my forte, that I can't be afraid to ask someone to stop and explain it to me. So just to own what I'm good at, I feel like as a woman, it's not financial things, but it's you know social capital. And I just have to run with that and Just own my my strengths.
0: Yeah, and I think that conversation is changing for the the better. I hope it continues to, obviously. Let's talk about the philanthropy. I'd be curious to see the difference between how your parents think about giving and how you and your husband think about giving.
1: So I'm pretty aligned with my parents, to be honest, especially my dad. It's been, you know, mostly him driving the bus, you know, for the past decades. And I've done a lot of deep dives into the DAS to really understand what's been going on, you know, over the years. And, you know, certain years it's up, certain years it's down, just kind of depends. And, you know, we're, we've we really been consistent with youth and education for decades. And that is like my biggest passion as well. So that's a win. You know, my parents sold the ch- our child's accounts two years ago now. So they were very involved with our, our local church, which, so they had, you know, we were always involved, like people were leaving retreats or different things. My dad was involved with ministry. So that was probably one of their biggest donors that they, or donates that they gave to, but that had stopped. So we've like shifted money towards other places and I'm trying of think what else we really, youth and education, different religious activities, homelessness is huge. You know, I I like to say at least my dad and I have similar ideas where we like to really be involved and engaged. I've really gotten him a little bit more into that as of late. So I sit on a few boards and then obviously you have to get to those, but I get my hands dirty. I don't like just writing a check to somewhere and never following up. You know, I'll be that crazy stalker, like emailing the marketing person or the executive director, like, what's going on? Give us an update, which I'm sure is really annoying, but... I want to be a responsible donor and make sure that the money is flowing to a good spot. So, yeah, we are actually pretty aligned. And and Sean's, you know, getting more involved. You know, we'll be doing something. We both went to Loyola at different times and Sean was an amazing golfer. And, you know, my dad would love to get him part of either Daniel Murphy or Evan Stollers on one of their junior boards just because my dad, since all those guys, just loved to play golf. So oh, that would be fun for them to do it together.
0: And, and how do you think about establishing your own personal legacy within this broader context of the family.
1: Yeah, which is hard because at the end, of the day I have to remember that I didn't make any of this money. So it is difficult. So that's why my biggest thing is just trying to sync up with my dad and make sure I'm following what he would like to do. But again, if there's certain things that he knows I'm passionate about, that he, not that he isn't, you know, what we do things locally, you know, which is great or in Naples where my parents are the home. Thank God they still have it. I <laughs> but yeah, for me, it's just being, if I'm going to be involved in something like a board or a charity, see very present, very present, engaged within a committee at events. I just like to be seen, not be seen, but be seen within the organization. So people know that we're really engaged with it. So as time goes on. I would love to think of a way that I could make money and bring it into a foundation, but. I'd have to leave this office to do, so do
0: that.
1: <laughs> maybe I'll write a family tell-all book one day. That's maybe how I'll make some of my own money.
0: All the all the secrets. All the secrets. To that'll put- be good. Well, Selena, I want to thank you for coming on. And I really appreciate you being so candid and open. It's not the easiest thing in the world to do to talk about your family. So I really appreciate it. I think people who listen are, are going to get a lot out of it. It's a question that I ask people that come on the show. Is there a daily practice that you have that helps to bring you peace in your life?
1: So I suffer from I think you need a my terrible migraines, really bad migraines. So for me, working out one hour a day brings me a lot of peace and, and joy. Which some people think would think I was crazy for saying that, but it's the one hour a day that I don't realize that I have a bad migraine. And then honestly, now when I'm married, just waking up every day and looking over at someone that decided to, to choose to be with me, so. That brings me a lot of joy, which I, you know, never knew I would sign. So I'm really fortunate. And fortunate that I get to work with my dad every day. As much as he drives me crazy, it's, it's been the best few years ever.
0: You're the, you're the Uber driver. It's important.
1: I'm the Uber driver.
0: Someone's yeah. got to get him to the meeting. So Celine, if, if people are interested in just connecting with you and learning about your journey, starting a family office, or they're a next gen and they want to expand their network, what's the best way for them to get in touch?
1: Sure. My email address or or LinkedIn.
0: Just so you have, there's a social media account or a channel that you prefer over others. I know we connect over LinkedIn, so.
1: Yeah. Do you want me to write it in the chat or say it out loud or what's best?
0: No, you can just, I think just say, you know, like you can look me up on LinkedIn. You can look me up on
1: LinkedIn or email address or Instagram, if 81.
0: You can hit the gram or LinkedIn. Yep. Celine, I want to thank you so much. It's been great. And uh, for our listeners, I hope you enjoyed the conversation and please do leave us a review and let us know your favorite part. Celine. I look forward to staying in touch and uh, best luck with everything moving forward.
1: Thank you, you too. Thank you so much. This is a pleasure.
2: Thank you for joining us for today's episode of The Capital Club. If you enjoyed what you heard in this episode, please like, rate, or leave us a review and stay tuned for our next episode coming soon.